For at least 50 years, pro-lifers and abortionists in America were able to agree on at least one thing. Once a baby was finally born, that baby was safe from the dangers of abortion. Apparently, in today's America, that bright shining line no longer exists. What has never been clear in the abortion debate was why those who favor abortion draw a line at birth for the time that a baby is no longer subject to execution. At least in medical and philosophical and scientific terms, passing through the birth canal doesn't change anything at all about a child. If a tiny human is an, a, a dispensable inconvenience inside the womb, how does passing through six inches of space and 20 minutes of time turn that inconvenience into a person with rights? That apparent arbitrary line is why people like Peter Singer, the professor of ethics at Princeton University, has argued that parents should be allowed to kill their children after birth up until the time that they are able to make their own contribution to society. It's an abhorrent position, but at least it's logically consistent. Well, that horrifying view has never been actually codified into American law until now. In the state of Maryland, there is a new law proposed that will uh, that is designed because progressive states are feverishly trying to build protections for abortion because they're afraid that the Supreme Court is about to overturn uh, Roe versus Wade. In Maryland, Senate Bill 669 has argued, uh, has presented the possibility now that the death of a child after birth will not be allowed to even be investigated as a crime. In other words, it effectively decriminalizes neglect of a born child uh, up to 28 days. They use language that is meant to deceive. They talk about uh, perinatal death. Well, perinatal is just a medical term that means a newborn. In Maryland law, Perinatal is defined as the first 28 days of life. The Maryland law authorizes that there is no investigation of the death of a child in the first 28 days after it's born. No investigation is allowed. In fact, the law makes it legal for those who are being investigated to file civil lawsuits against law enforcement authorities. In other words, in Maryland, you will now not only have nine full months to kill your baby, but in case you can't get it done in time, they're going to give you a tenth month where you can allow the baby to die. You can starve it. You can fail to, to, to care for it in any way. And by neglect, when that child dies, you can't even be investigated for the death of the child. Well, flash to the other coast, California has formed an organization called the California Future on Abortion Council, the CAFAB. Founded in September of 2021, 
They took several branches of Planned Parenthood, along with Governor Gavin Newsom, a variety of state lawmakers, and some other women's organizations like the Women's Foundation of California, the ACLU, and the Feminist Women's Health Centers of California. Uh, their design is to do what, what the governor calls to make California an abortion sanctuary state. The design is they are changing the abortion laws in California as liberal as they already were so that people can do what we might call abortion tourism. If you're in a state that uh, prohibits abortions or if you don't have sufficient access to abortion services, their design is to be a destination state. You can now vacation in sunny California, murder your baby while you're on vacation, and then go home as though nothing ever happened. The California law would delete the requirement that the death of a baby would be uh, considered uh, a crime. It would simply be handled as uh, along the same lines as an abortion. Only the difference is in Maryland where perinatal refers to the first 28 days, the first four weeks after birth, the California law potentially defines the term perinatal as the first year of life. In other words, perinatal death or the death of a newborn for any reason would not be a criminal charge in the state of California for her citizens or for the people who travel there to kill their baby. How can we abide this? The whole idea that killing our babies has not been enough, but now we have to have the right to kill them even after they're born. The only person happy about this is Moloch, the god of child sacrifice that Yahweh prohibited his people from following in the Old Testament. America is striving to become the baby-killing capital of the world. What do we do about this? Well, first of all, we need to gin up some righteous indignation. Now, let me talk to you about righteous indignation. That term is often misunderstood to mean your personal righteousness. When anybody says, well, I'm, I'm righteously indignant, the answer typically is, well, well, uh, you're not righteous enough. I mean, who are you to, to make charges? Listen, righteous indignation is not that I'm mad about something based on my righteousness. It's that I'm angry about something based on the righteousness of what's true and correct. In other words, Righteous indignation doesn't mean I'm perfect. It means that I'm upset by the same things that God is upset by. I'm angry about the same things that God is angry by. Well, that's pretty arrogant that you know the mind of God. I do know the mind of God. It's called the Bible. And in the Word of God, He tells us precisely the very things that He hates. But we're so nice. We've been raised to be... Kind above all other things. Kindness and gentleness is our great virtue today in the church. And in the process of being kind and gentle and non-judgmental, we have failed to get angry about the things that we should be angry about. The Bible has something that you may never have heard of before. They're called imprecatory psalms. Imprecatory psalms are psalms that involve prayer to God for judgment, vengeance, 
for God's righteous anger to be applied to wicked and evil men. Let me just read you a couple of examples because you may not know this is in the Bible and it may offend you. But let me talk to you about imprecatory psalms. There's a whole list of them. Let me just give you the numbers. Uh, imprecatory psalms, you can read them for yourselves. Psalm 7, Psalm 35, 58, 59, 69, 83, 109, 137, and 139. It makes for some exciting reading. Let me read to you from Psalm 59. Verse 5 says, You, Lord God of armies, the God of Israel, awake to punish all the nations. Do not be gracious to any who deal treacherously in wrongdoing. Verses 12 and 13. On account of the sin of their mouths and the words of their lips, may they even be caught in their pride, and on account of curses and lies which they tell. Destroy them in wrath. Destroy them so that they will no longer exist, so that people will know that God rules in Jacob to the ends of the earth. Well, let me read to you from Psalm 109. Listen to these verses. Beginning in verse 7, speaking about evil men, this psalmist's prayer says, when he is judged, may he come out guilty. May his prayer become sin. May his days be few. May another take his office. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children wander about and beg, and may they seek sustenance far from their ruined homes. May the creditors seize everything that he has, and may strangers plunder the product of his labor. May there be none to extend kindness to him, nor any to be gracious to his fatherless children. May his descendants be eliminated. May their name be wiped out in a following generation. May the guilt of his fathers be remembered before the Lord, and do not let the sin of his mother be wiped out. You get the picture. These are prayers of the psalmist pleading with God to bring judgment on those who promote wickedness, who... Who, uh, who push an evil agenda. Now, if you're like most people, you say, well, that's just the Psalms. The Psalms are, you know, it's just hyperbole. Well, let me give you some other places. There are also imprecatory songs included in Numbers chapter 10. That's from Moses. Judges chapter 5, a judge by the name of Deborah. Jeremiah in Jeremiah 17 praise judgment on his enemies. Well, that's all Old Testament. That's just the God of wrath. Well, interestingly enough, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and in Galatians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament prays that people who stand in opposition to God would be accursed. It's the Greek word anathema. It means to be eternally punished. In Revelation chapter 6, the martyrs who are at the foot of the throne of grace in heaven, cry out to God and say, how long until you avenge our blood? Now, if you're hostile to the word of God, if you're, uh, if you're hostile to Christianity, you might say, well, listen, this, this plays into every stereotype I've ever believed. This is, this is exactly why Christianity is, is such a bad religion. Let me tell you something. These, these are in the Bible as examples to us of how to use spiritual weapons against the evil that holds sway in every generation of human history. Think about it this way. Why should we pray, 
judgment and, and punishment on those who are evil? Well, first of all, because we shouldn't take vengeance into our own hands. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. It's his job to, to judge and to carry out uh, in his perfect judgment what, is, what ought to happen in the lives of people that stand in opposition to him. Prayer is because we have taken the spiritual weapon provided for us and it's effective. We call on God not, not, to, not to, uh, to, to, to judge people based on our agenda, but based on his agenda. Society is filled with evil practices led by evil people. I mean, this is stick to the topic of abortion. The World Health Organization estimates that there are 40 to 50 million abortions every year worldwide. That's 125,000 abortions on this planet every single day. In the United States alone, we average about 3,000 abortions daily. These are abortions primarily not about the mother's health, but about money and convenience. There is no way to look at that and not have some level of righteous indignation swell up inside of us unless we have become a church so immune to indignation that we don't speak against anything that happens around us. And I'm afraid that's where the church is in most instances today. Aren't we to love our enemies? Yes, we are. And this is where the distinction about praying this kind of prayer comes in. We are to love our enemies, but loving our enemies shouldn't come at the expense of making appeals to God for divine justice. Praying for God to punish the wicked is not unloving or vindictive. It's an expression of faith in the God who always judges correctly. We're supposed to love our enemies, but this is where we have to distinguish between cursing our personal enemies and calling upon God to curse his enemies. Imprecatory prayers are not driven by vengeance, but by a desire for justice, for the glory of God to be recognized. These are prayers aimed at great injustices of our time. These are not prayers that we pray about trivial matters. David didn't ask God to destroy people because they were annoying or inconvenient or hurtful to him personally. I'm not suggesting that we pray imprecatory prayers when somebody cuts us off in traffic or attacks us on social media. I'm talking about praying against the enemies of justice and righteousness. This kind of praying does not target individuals, but it prays against a class of people that corrupts the systems that God desires in human society. For example, corrupt politicians. You don't have to pray against an individual, but you should be praying right now in America that God will bring judgment on corrupt politicians because divine intervention is the only way our corrupt political system is going to be rehabilitated. We can pray against abortionists, not individual people, but the class of people who have become so immune to the murder of innocence that they promote this, whether it's the doctor in the surgical suite or an administrator pushing paper. There is a whole evil structure built on murder in this generation. 
you should pray against the manipulators of society, whether it is people who try and force the economy one way or another, or people who try and take advantage of, of health care and, and, and pandemic issues, those who have an agenda that is meant to enslave and oppress people, we should be praying the vengeance of God on those people. What do we do about injustice and evil in our society? We pray. And I think that includes imprecatory prayers. If that sounds too harsh to you, then what do you suggest we do? We just sit on our hands? We just turn our eyes from heaven? We just let the world go to hell in a handbasket? There's a reason God left you here, believer. He left you here to do battle for truth and for righteousness. And if we won't do that, then what good are we? It's time for the church to wake up and begin to fight the evil in our society, not by taking up physical arms. We have a much more powerful weapon. We need to pray that God intervenes and brings judgment on wicked, corrupt, and evil people who are perverting all that God desires in human history. It's time to pray, and it's time to pray hard. And it might make you uncomfortable, but it's time to pray with a little bit of anger. It's time to be righteously indignant. Get off the bench and get into the fight. This is Truth Currents. Thank you.